0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for Season 6, Episode 43, Oscar. In this episode, Bob covered details he found in his open records request from Harris County, and we learned a little more about the two home invasions and how they related to the Melgar case.
1: Then we also took the information that we have from those two home invasions that we know occurred and how they occurred, and we compared that back to some of the evidence that we're finding in the video surveillance footage from the Esmond's house across the street from the Melgars. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and get right into your questions. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications. And that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: All right, our first question comes from Charlie. Please, can you address the marijuana Sandy issue? Did Sandy use it for medical purposes? Did she buy it herself? And was this the large bag found?
1: Okay, so what Charlie's referring to here is a a notation in the police reports where uh, Sandy, in the forensic analysis of the computers and cell phones, we talked about this at least twice, months and months ago. Um, there, There are certain people that are trying to make this into some sort of nefarious act from Sandy that had something to do with the murder, or a nefarious act by me that's trying to hide this. We told you about it. And I'll tell you the only reason that anyone knows that there was marijuana that that is they're speaking about in this report is because we told you that, and that's because Liz told me that because it was never anything anyone was trying to hide when they were going through Sandy's the forensic analysis of her phone, they found where she had talked about getting a special ingredient from a friend, uh, and 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 what it, and Liz told me before I before we had the open re- records request. Before I had any access to this document, Liz told me, cause I, ask, I always ask anybody, are there any other, as we start pulling documents, any other previous charges, any other crimes? And Liz said, no, the, like, the, literally the only thing close to my mother being in trouble other than being charged with this murder was during that process. Uh, the DA's office brought up the fact that she was trying to purchase some marijuana, uh, and it was for medicinal purposes. And it wasn't like, from my understanding, it was, um, uh, not even like marijuana, like you would smoke it. It was um some kind of uh it was an ingredient to be used to make like a gel or a salve that you would put on your body, uh or maybe edible or something like that. It was it was Sandy was looking into purchasing med- medical marijuana from a friend who used medical marijuana uh, for some health issues. the, the it, that has been spun into I've seen that Sandy bought an ounce of weed. None of that happened. The transaction never occurred. She never obtained any of the marijuana or the marijuana products. She never used it. She never came into contact with any drug dealers. There was nothing like that. She has a friend who was able to get these ingredients to make uh, medicinal-use marijuana products to help with her illnesses. Sandy was having a hard time, and she wanted to try it, uh, which she never actually did. It never says in the police report that it was, in fact, marijuana. It never says that, that she actually obtained it. it. It was simply that she tried to or reached out to and asked and inquired about getting it. She was It's also been said that she was arrested for this. She was not arrested for this. It just came up through the, the process of the forensic analysis. I think they might have put it in as a charge and never followed through on it. But Sandy was never arrested. She never actually purchased anything. The only reason anyone knows that it's marijuana is because I told you it was marijuana, because Liz told me it was marijuana. It has nothing to do with this crime. If you think it does, fine. But my investigation of it was exactly what I just told you. And I've spoken to the people involved, and that's it. That's all there ever was. It has nothing to do with Jim's murder. has nothing to do with her victimology, coming in contact with drug dealers or anything like that. Uh, and I've never found it to be relevant, which is why we have never talked about it. And as I've just explained to you, you can see why it's not relevant.
0: Okay, our next question comes from Lauren. Is there a way to see if there is a link between the cleaning lady and Cinead or the other home invasions? Is it possible the neighbors remember seeing any strange cars leading up to days before Jim's murder? If the house were not chosen at random, but for specific reasons, they might have been canvassing the neighborhood before.
1: Well, this is another, and I know I I feel like I'm overusing this word, but I don't know how else to describe it. It's another frustration with the lack of investigation here, even even in the old. So let's go back to the 2009 home invasion, the one Oscar Garcia was arrested for. That one is the most specific one, where the home invaders in the police report it says that they were told there was a TV. Or there was a safe behind the TV or inside the TV, behind the TV from someone that was inside the house. Okay, that is a clear indication. Now they had the wrong house, but they were in the right neighborhood. That's a clear indication that there is someone feeding information to this group of home invaders and tipping them off to houses that they should break into. What should have been done for me? That was the first thing I saw. The first thing I thought of when I saw that was we need to figure out who was in the house. Who could have been in the house that could have obtain that information and then passed it on to the home invaders. Now again this one they they likely had the wrong or they did have the wrong house. There was no safe behind any TV. So you go to the neighbors houses. You go around anywhere and find out who in that neighborhood does have a safe behind their TV and then you find out who had contact in their home, right? And so that, that now 7 years or 6 years later, 7 years later, it's it's nearly impossible oh, shit that one was um 2009, so 10 years ago. Neighbors have moved in and out, everything's changed since then, and also there's a language barrier there. I've tried reaching out to that victim, but nobody speaks English, uh, but I'm, it's something I'm still working on. But if at that time, if the police had asked the neighbors, who has the TV with the safe behind it? So let's say they do that, and then they find out that there is a house in the neighborhood with a safe behind the TV, now you've got a lead. There's your, there's your ground zero for your investigation, right? So, how did someone know that? Who's been in your house? And that's why I mentioned in the episode that maybe, you know, the, the cleaning lady idea may not be so far fetched because what if that person says, yeah, well, we have this maid service that comes in and they're here all the time. They were here last week or whatever. And they know about the TV. Then you get, then you contact them and you bring them in for questioning and you, you work out from there. But that was never done. Now, that's a failure to solve that case. But then you have the Kingwood home invasion where they come in, again, asking for a safe. The text messages show that there was this was a planned attack. They were the, the, um, the victims there were targeted. Sounds like maybe, again, they had... No, they didn't have the wrong house because they were targeting the people who own the limousine company, uh, but they're targeting these people, so there must be some reason they know where they live and what they're doing. Maybe you find that they have the same maid service, and you're looking for commonality, common links. And then you have the the Melgar's case where it's such a similar M.O. That's why in, in the literally the textbooks, as I've read them to you, in the investigative process here, you always look for crimes with similar M.O.s. That's how serial killers get caught. because it, Because if you only look at each crime in its individual nature and only the elements of that crime, it's very difficult to solve a crime if someone has hidden their tracks. But if they've committed two or three crimes, now you can start to connect them. Now maybe you have a partial DNA profile at scene number one that you couldn't do anything with, but then you compare that to the DNA profiles taken from scene number two and compare it to the profiles taken at scene number three, and now you can connect the same person to all three crimes. The same thing could have happened here. Now they didn't take any DNA samples from the Kingwood home invasion, but they did from 2009, uh, and they should have taken them in the Kingwood home invasion. So you could start to, and imagine how that would change things at least for sandy besides the fact that they would have actually for jim's sake for justice for jim investigated this case properly and likely found the people that actually killed him instead of trying to pin this on his wife if they had done that if they had taken all these dna samples and then went back to the samples from this there's no evidence that they went back to check with the the dna that was found in the kingwood home invasion or any other home invasion they never compared the dna from the melgar home invasion against anyone else. I don't even know offhand if they ran it through CODIS. They, just, they tested it against Sandy and the other family members is all that's in the report. Well, if it wasn't Sandy and the other family members, maybe go look and try to figure out who it is connected to, whose DNA it does belong to. Because let's say one of those profiles matches a profile from the 2009 home invasion or another home invasion. Even if we don't know who the profile is from, what we do know is that Sandy didn't kill her husband. If we find the a DNA sample in the Melgar case and it matches a DNA profile from another home invasion that with a similar MO three years prior, you can be pretty damn sure that it was that individual that broke into the Melgar's house and killed Jim and not Sandy. These were investigative leads that were never ever ever followed up on. Uh, but as we you know, coming back to the cleaning lady or the or the maid service it's just another thing that wasn't followed up on by police had they done that we might have a better lead we might have a connection getting back to that serial killer analogy you know you're always looking at how are the victims connected and what if you found that in a string of these home invasions the same maid service worked for all of them and we know from the kingwood or excuse me the 2009 home invasion that it was a targeted attack they were specifically looking for a house with a safe behind the tv so that's something that I don't know that we can do now. We may be able to find out um, some information. Certainly we can figure out who the uh, the, the cleaning lady was in the Melgar's home, um, and we can see maybe if we can get them to open up again the people in the Kingwood home, uh, home invasion, if they maybe had the same one, that would be a big start. Um, but the, to, to find out which neighbor of the 2009 victim had the safe behind the TV I think we're a little late for that now in 2010, but it's worth, it's worth looking into, and we're going to try and do that.
0: Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, uh-huh, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, and on the topic of the cleaning lady, Steve wants to know, was she ever interviewed by the police? No, she was not. All right, next we have a theory from Sarah. If it is determined that a car did turn into the Melgar's driveway, I have a theory. It's been mentioned that the car was going too fast for people who were casing the neighborhood looking for a house to enter. Maybe it was one of the lookout cars or the person on the other end of the walkie-talkie. When things went bad at the house, maybe that person was called to come pick them up and was told, quote, it's the house with no Christmas lights. With that detail, they wouldn't have had to slow down to find the house, and they would have been in a hurry to get their cohorts and drive away. They could have turned off the headlights when in the driveway, so there are no lights showing them leaving. What do you think, Bob?
1: It's possible. I mean, I, I hesitate to speculate too much because I don't know for sure. I'm still waiting uh, for Grant Fredericks to get back to me. He did, as I mentioned the episode, reach back, said he's willing to look at the videos to send them over. I've sent them, and I'm just waiting for, you know, he's a busy guy. Uh, but when he get a ch- gets a chance, I'm waiting for him to get through those videos and give me his analysis. But, you know, it, let's just look at, and that's kind of what I was talking about in this week's episode, let's just look at what happened in the other two home invasions. The the home invaders were dropped off, let out of the vehicle, and then they walked up to the house. And then uh, we know for sure in Kingwood, uh, Cinead and her BMW drove down to the end of the block, turned around on the cul-de-sac, and then left. And then later comes back after they said that they're ready to go, pulls into the driveway, loads the stuff up, gets people in her car, and then takes back off again. They, they wouldn't be looking for the house, because they'd already know it was there. You know, certainly by, by midnight, I think, given what I think is Jim's likely time of death, I think the home invaders were already there at that point. I, I think it's possible that the 1232 and 1234 cars are the same car that go down to the cul-de-sac, turn around, drop off the team of home invaders, and leave the neighborhood, and then come back with the lights off 45 minutes later at 113, or 40 minutes later, and, and pull into the driveway with the lights off, we wouldn't have seen that. The home invaders get into the car and then we just see the reverse lights as they back off and then take off down the road. I mean, that fits with the evidence, but we don't know if that's what we're actually seeing in the surveillance footage yet at this point. So, you know, we at, th- at this point, we're kind of in a stalled pattern regarding the video surveillance until we hear back from Grant Fredericks.
0: Karen says, as I listen to the episode alternating between reading the interviews and hearing how they knew when police are coming... I find myself wondering if the detective that translates or any others are connected to any of the suspects in the home invasions. It seems they don't just drop the ball in a passive way, as I once thought. It seems more intentional.
1: What are your thoughts? I don't think it's intentional. I definitely don't think that... I mean, who knows? But I don't see any evidence to indicate that Detective Garcia or or, um, Deputy Garcia who did the translating had any connection to the victims. I mean, I've listened to... You know, the audio of his interviews with people, we've had them translated by, by professional translators and transcribers. And it all seems to be on point. They weren't asking the right questions. So I I don't think, I I do honestly believe that the mistakes made, specifically in the Melgar case that we're very familiar with, I think they're rooted in incompetence. For example, you know uh Carpenter, uh, Maurice Carpenter, in his crime scene inv- investigation, where he's documenting the crime scene. You know he didn't take pictures of things he should have. He didn't, ch- you know, he didn't look inside the car. He didn't take close-ups. He didn't, didn't think to swab the the coax cable by the TV. He just he didn't notice. You know, he he missed a lot of that stuff. That's incompetence, as far as I'm concerned. When later he goes back and writes a report, to me that's intentional, and that that comes from when the the police are already locked into a theory, the DA's already locked into a theory that it was Sandy, that, in my opinion, there's no other excuse for Maurice Carpenter's crime scene investigative report other than he was intentionally uh, twisting the narrative and leaving things out to try to support a case against Sandy rather than just stating the facts. And what I mean by that is, so, when he was doing his crime scene investigation, he takes pictures of, for example, the, uh, the empty space in the entertainment center with the, the HDMI cable hanging out. He took pictures of it. He noticed that. But then when he writes his report, he doesn't mention it. He doesn't mention anything throughout the report about anything appearing to be stolen, even though there was obvious signs. Now, we can argue until we're blue in the face about whether or not anything was actually stolen from the Melgar's house. But the fact of the matter is there certainly was evidence on the crime scene to indicate that something was stolen the the t v from the nightstand the the hole in the entertainment center you know there's there's a lot of indications things were stolen and that was that was that was intentionally in my opinion left out of the report so that's where it becomes less passive and sadly, that's not uncommon in most wrongful conviction cases we look at you know it's 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 they need to support a case against their person they're trying to arrest so they they write a report that looks like they're guilty, and that's what exactly what maurice carpenter did so that that becomes much less passive. Uh, But then, you know, I think, again, it's rooted in incompetence. You know, he didn't check inside Jim's car. He didn't see the backpack full of stolen goods sitting in the garage. And then, you know, then they try to claim that maybe Liz placed that there later. But the crime scene, crime scene photos and the video show that, nope, it was sitting right there the whole time. And Carpenter just missed it. He didn't process Sandy's car. He didn't process Jim's car. You know, that's all incompetence. And then after screwing up and botching that piece of it, then it becomes an intentional act to to write the report in a way that supports the prosecution's narrative rather than actually writing the facts.
0: Brittany says, How many, if any, home invasions were reported in the area and surrounding
1: area since the Melgar murder? Lots. Still to this day. I mean, I couldn't give you a number, but you know, they're, they're all over the place. Lots of home invasions. Lots of home invasions with people being tied up and even home invasions people being tied up and put into closets. Um, there, there was a ton. There was there was a lot that could have been done by the initial investigators to try to see if this case was connected to some of those other home invasions, which is why I was so irritated when Colleen Barnett came on and, and acted like that was such a crazy idea for someone to break into a house in a nice neighborhood when people are home. And it literally ha- it happens damn near daily in Harris County. So so to say that that doesn't make sense is just disingenuous.
0: From Twitter, a listener writes, My question is about your profiling of the home invaders. You mentioned several times that if Jim had been killed by the home invaders, these home invaders seemed fairly sophisticated and experienced. In the crime scene photos, it looks like Sandy's tied up with scarves. I can't recall if Sandy identified these as coming from her home. Why wouldn't the home invaders use supplies like duct tape or zip ties? Scarves seem like something they'd find in the house, but it seems risky not to bring your own supplies if you plan on tying people up. Zip ties or duct tape also seem like they'd be more effective than scarves. I would appreciate any insight you might have into this.
1: The issue is that by bringing... And so that's one of the indicators to me that these people do have some criminal sophistication in the home invasion robberies, not in the murders, because anything that you take to the crime scene can then be traced back to you. Meaning if you take your own zip ties and your own rope or whatever it is duct tape whatever you're bringing that's evidence that can be traced back to you and if that's been b- bouncing around your vehicle or in your house there could be DNA there could be fingerprints on it there could be you know in certain items, serial numbers that could be tracked you know it's not quite like it is on CSI but certain items could certainly be tracked so it's a big risk anytime a criminal brings one of their own items uh, that belongs to them, that is connected to them forensically to a crime scene, that's uh, one chance for that to be tied back to them. And in this case, you know, and sometimes you might say, uh, say in the the West Memphis 3 case, for example, you know, the, the shoelaces of the boys being used to bind them. That Those are materials, the, the the killer didn't bring those materials with them, but in that case, that is something that was done from necessity. Everything about that crime indicates that this was impulsive And there was no planning whatsoever. And that's why they had to tie the boys up with their own bindings or with their own shoelaces. As opposed to this, where we see multiple home invasions with the same MO. And every time it's pre-planned, you know, Kingwood specifically, days earlier, they're, they're texting, they're planning, they're following them. So this was planned out to do exactly what they did. And the plan was to use items from their own house. Remember, the the husband was tied up with an electrical cord and his own necktie. Uh, the rest of the family was tied up with phone cords, extension cords, anything that the they could find in the house. So that was pre-planned. It was not an impulsive act to do that, which tells me that it was a decision made by the offenders that, that shows some criminal sophistication because they're not leaving any of their own forensic evidence at the crime scene. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: Jen says, perhaps Bob can answer. The name on the phone. The Y with too many S's. What is
1: the exact spelling of that name? The exact spelling is Y-O-S-S-T-A-S. Like I said, it, it almost looks like Yosistas with too many S's. And uh, I apologize for the... it's. It was... Diff, I don't know how pronounce it on the show. I tried to make it not sound like I was saying, yo sisters. I tried to say, Yasistas sisters or whatever, but that's, that's how it's spelled. I've done some research into it. I've seen, I've actually seen that there are uh, people out there with the name Yassi Stas, right. uh, that came up, which is no, no apparent help. Yassi is a name that that's possible. I've heard that it could be, um, some sort of slang for lazy or something in Spanish. But nothing definitive. Um, But yeah, it's Y-O-S-S-I-T-A-S.
0: Richard wants to know if there are any updates on Sandy's appeal.
1: Yeah, so the latest update was, gosh, it's been, I forgot to mention it last week. um, But the state had filed for another extension, and they were granted that extension to file their response brief to to the appeal. I think the deadline now is July 1st. And uh, hopefully they'll actually get it in by then so we can we can start moving forward with Sandy's appeal process. Um, but I wouldn't be shocked the way things are going if they file another extension to keep it moving forward, uh, keep pushing that date back. But as of right now, uh, don't quote me, but I believe the date is July 1st. I'm trying to remember, Allison told me about it. Yeah, July 1st, um, the state got another extension to file their response. And then after that, then, then um, I believe Mac and Allison will be able to file another response to that before they move into, there may even be one more, before they move into scheduling a hearing. Sherry wants to know where she can find the mail contact
0: info to send a letter to get Sandy her necessary medical care.
1: Yeah, so that's on our Facebook, on the, the, the podcast fans page. Uh, there's a post there. I think it's marked as an announcement, but there's 200,000 posts on there. So the easiest way to get that information, to send, a, to send a letter, participate in the letter writing campaign to try to get Sandy the medical care she needs, is to go to the free Sandy Melgar Facebook page. Uh, That page will have it up front and center. They don't have all the discussion that we have going on on the fan page. So go to the free Sandy Melgar Facebook page. There you should be able to get very easy access to the information we need for the letter writing campaign.
0: Okay, and this is our last question. Wendell says, I smell something. I think it's the stench of a federal informant in Oscar
1: Insignia's case.
0: Anytime you see files go black like this, that's usually the case.
1: Yeah, uh, I think so, too. Remember, there's some indicators there. When they go to arrest Oscar, there's U.S. Marshals staking him out. That's, that's not something that happens for little low-level issues. So you have U.S. Marshals. They contacted the FBI at one point. They're dealing with Colombian informants to try to help solve the case. And then, and then we have an Oscars case. The charges in the 2009 home invasion are just dropped, which is crazy. See, he admitted being on the scene. He was driving away with a rag covering his license plate. He was identified by uh, one of the the victims and somebody else from the neighborhood who saw his face in the car, which you know, was no surprise because he admitted he was there. Uh, and he was found with masks and gloves in his car. And then there's two witnesses that saw one of the home invaders get out of his vehicle and walk up to the house that, when they robbed him. and and then there's DNA evidence that connects them to the scene, and then charges are just dropped. The district attorney's document just says to see the state's file. The state's file is completely void of any explanation. It's just over. The other four uh, young men that were caught in the other neighborhood, they were all identified by the victims, were all not charged. They were charged with, I think, evading arrest, but not with the home invasion. And then in in the Kingwood home invasion, you know, that's, It's clear to me, or it appears to me, I should say, that there were definitely some games being played with the police and prosecution in the Kingwood home invasion. They told the victims that they interviewed Sinead's husband. They told her that he jumped over a balcony and he ran away and that they ended up clearing him. And there's not a single indication in the report that he was ever even spoken to. Which is think about it clearly he would have been I mean if the even as an inept as any investigator could be when you catch a person red handed and they say I was the reason I was at the crime scene is because I was sitting at home watching TV with my husband when I got this text and asked to go pick this guy up don't you think you would go talk to the husband to verify that story so I'm certain they did go talk to Ed's husband nothing in the report uh we see the what seems very evident is a brady violation in the fact that the the victims tell me that they specifically identified the wrong person and were told by the police officer that they identified the wrong person and that's left out of the reports and then it's actually uh, uh f- falsified if what they're telling me is true it's falsified in the reports and then left out of the brady materials given over to the to the defense and then according to oscar in his letter To the judge, it says that uh, that his lawyer told him when he was trying to explain to him more about the case that his lawyer told him not to speak of it. Who knows if Oscar's telling the truth? But that's interesting. But you know when that seemed like, as I said in the episode, very tinfoil hatty. Until we dig into the case file and realize everything's missing. There's nothing there. There's no explanation for why the charges were dropped. There's no explanation as to why. There's not a single document in there that shows that Cinead. Uh, gave uh, an identification or a statement against Oscar. There's no police report. There's no transcript. There's no interview. All of that is left out. It's like Cinead was whitewashed out of Oscar's file somehow. So, yeah, I I don't know if it's federal informant, but there's certainly a lot of indicators that something is going on there. And And then it makes you come back to this case. Why was there not a real investigation done? I'm not even putting any speculation out there, but ask yourself that why was there never even if Sandy was guilty There were certainly other avenues that should have been followed They did not have a strong case against Sandy Melgar. They tried to make a case against her without any evidence They should have been any competent police department would have been exploring other leads to see if there was another answer And they never did and we should be asking ourselves why Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Mike Bussing is our executive producer, and all music for the show was created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Thank you to Amanda Meyer with Willow Photo and Design for designing and creating our Friday follow-up logo. And all of our font across all of our logos and banners was created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our transcription team, Rachel Timberman, Natalie Alicia, Pamela Westby, Katherine Chrisman, and Jen Reese Incandela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. And if you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter. The show's handle is at Truth Justice Pod, and my personal Twitter handle is at Bob Ruff Truth. For more personal interactions, feel free to follow me on Instagram at TruthJusticePod. Don't forget, we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. As for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice.
0: In this episode, Bob covered details from his findings in his open records, in his open record, I can't say it. It's a hard one. In this episode, Bob covered details he found in his open records request from Harris County. Got it. Got it. That's a hard, that's
1: a tongue twister.
0: Record request. Yeah, that's that's rough. I always end up saying
1: Weka request. All right. 10 seconds of silence. ad marker. I usually say that. (laughs) Go ahead. 10 seconds of silence. ad marker.